The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Kia ora, I'm Bernard Hickey. But this is not when the facts change. Seeing as you like the first season of This Is Kiwi so much, our friends at Kiwi Bank thought you might enjoy the new season, this time getting into the heads of six extraordinary young New Zealanders. Have a listen while you wait for the next episode of When the Facts Change, and I'll be back on Friday with my regular economics yarns. Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee, and welcome to This Is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and the Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better, the incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This Is Kiwi. Where ordinary people do extraordinary things. My guest today is one of New Zealand's most accomplished athletes. In 2018, Nico Porteous became our youngest Olympic medalist at age 16, taking out bronze in the men's free ski halfpipe. He then eclipsed that effort in Beijing in 2022 when he executed back-to-back 1620s on opposite sides of the pipe, taking out the gold medal. He also has two X Games gold medals under his belt and was last year named a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to snow sports. It was honestly such a privilege to spend time with Nico, obviously learning about his journey to global success, but also finding out what's important to him off the mountain. He's wise beyond his 22 years, and while his world may be dominated by competitive skiing, he's determined to live a full life that isn't defined by his athletic achievements. You're about to experience a side of Nico you won't see in sports broadcasts or read in athlete profiles. He's thoughtful, candid and beautifully humble. And in talking about what it takes to succeed and how he deals with the pressures of his career, it's clear Nico is an incredible role model as an athlete, obviously, but also as someone with immense self-awareness. I'm in awe of Nico and I feel inspired by his approach to everything he undertakes, but also by his spirit of generosity and sharing his wisdom. If you thought someone so early on in their own life journey couldn't possibly have much to teach you about examining yours, you're about to be pleasantly surprised. Here's Nico Porteous on This Is Kiwi. Nico, thank you so much for joining us for This Is Kiwi. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we'd love to have you here. Um, Can you start, we'll start at the beginning. We'll go, we'll wind it way back to when you're just a tiny wee thing. Tell us how you first got into skiing. Um, yeah, so skiing's been a huge part of my life. Well, it's been part of part of my life since I was four. Um, 
And I actually first got into it on a family holiday. Um, so my dad was working over uh, in the UK uh, and did six months um, over in the in the Peugeot factory. Uh, and so we decided after after we finished working there, we decided to go and um, spend a winter or do a six six weeks in um, in France um, and and go skiing because the rest of the family were avid skiers at that time, and Miguel was skiing and. Um, yeah, I we got there and we stayed in this little basement and um, it was four of us in a one bedroom uh, apartment and and um, yeah, that's where it all started for me. Mum put my skis on on the lounge floor and taught me how to pizza and would put gold stars on my skis every time I did it right and um, yeah, that's that's where it all started. And Miguel's your brother, who's also yeah, Miguel's my older brother, a yeah. competitive skier, right? Yeah, yeah, he's just retired, but um, yeah. Man, how old is he? He's 24. He's retiring at 24. Yeah, yeah. I would more call it stepping away <laughs> yeah. rather than retiring. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so um, I guess there's a lot of people who can probably relate to that experience of like hitting the slopes fairly young mm. and learning how to pizza, as you say, and mum and dad encouraging them. But how do you go from that to an Olympic gold medal? <laughs> um, yeah. Like, um, when you, yeah, I don't know. Um, I would say a lot of time on snow would be the biggest thing. Um, you know, as I said, it's such a big part of my life. And throughout that period from four up until, um, you know, the start of 2022, I'd probably spent, you know, over at least over a thousand days on snow in my life. Um, I mean, that's such an estimation off the top of my head, so I don't actually know, but it's a lot of time on snow and, and, and I just have such a passion for skiing and, and absolutely love what I do. Um, and so I think that really allow me to um, just enjoy it and, and get to uh, achieving my biggest goals. You say your parents were avid skiers. Were they like competitive skiers? No, not at all. Um, so my dad grew up in Mount Summers um, in Canterbury and, and would go up to Mount Hutt um, with his mates. And, uh, yeah, he was just a weekend warrior that absolutely loved it. And, and then he met mum up in the Waikato and, um, yeah, taught her how to ski and, um, yeah, same with Miguel. He learned to ski up on Mount Hart and um, yeah, so the, the whole family's into it. So how do you how do you get discovered in terms of your natural skill and it being, you know, because you have to, I guess, as a young thing, put in quite a lot of hours to get as good as you got, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think I think a huge part of it was that um, I wasn't, uh, mum and dad did such a good job of not just limiting me to one thing. So I wasn't just skiing. I was playing hockey. I was playing rugby. I was swimming. Um, later on, I was surfing. I was skateboarding. Kind of anything I could get my hands on, I was doing. Um, and I think that really just broadened um, my athletic ability. I, I don't know. Like it just sort of made me understand how my body worked. And um, there was no pressure to do anything, no pressure to compete in anything. And I guess it just naturally, um, naturally fell into skiing, which was um, sort of the perfect way. Awesome. Uh, and so do you still do any of those things outside? I mean, I'm guessing you're pretty busy with your snow sports, yeah. but outside of that? Yeah, no, I still, still do um, a lot of them. I sort of have to tone it back a little bit more um, on the action sports side of things because <laughs> I've got injured a few times um, not skiing, which is not very good. Um, so, yeah, right now what's keeping me occupied is spend a lot of time on the gravel bike, um, love riding that thing uh, around Wanaka and, uh, yeah, out on the boat, uh, fishing, surfing when I can. Um, yeah, just sort of staying active, walking up in the hills and, uh, yeah, staying outside. 
What do you do in the summertime when you're not on the slopes but you need to train? Are you training during the summer or is that just your off-season? Um, I'm, I mean, right right now um, I'm in my summer break. Um, so I've got three weeks at home uh, and that's just Christmas, spending time with the family. And, and so I like to treat that as a little, as a, as a full break away from skiing, to yep. be honest. I mean, when you're in winter to winter uh, all year round, and you get three weeks of summer, pretty much. It's, it's you got to really cherish um, what you can get. So I, I will just do enough to to maintain um, and just sort of reset the head. What sort of training? What what sort of training is involved in competitive skiing? Yeah. So um, there's actually quite a lot that goes into it. A lot of people just watch our sport and think, oh, they're sort of just making it up on the spot. But, <laughs> I um, do not think that you're just making it up on the spot. Yeah, well, there, there are some people that do, and, and thank you for not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so so the prep that goes behind um, freestyle skiing is, I mean, there's a lot of gym work. Um, we're in a high-impact sport, and, and we do crash, and so we need those uh, that muscle strength to protect our ligaments and protect our bones and um, so a lot of time in the gym, we spend a lot of time on trampolines, doing air awareness stuff, you know, practicing our tricks on trampoline with minimal risk. Um, we have airbags, which is like a 20 meter by 20 meter vinyl blow up pillow that we can put actually on snow and, and um, get that sort of the closest thing we have to doing it in real life. And then the, yeah, the step from there is doing it in real life. So um, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a big, um, Lots of lots that can be done training. I'm really curious to know how you go from, I guess, your parents recognizing that you're pretty good and hitting the slopes as much as you can because you enjoy it to actually sort of competing. Imagining that started quite young. Yeah, it did. Um, so competing started for me when I was six. Wow. Um, so we would travel, um, grew up in early years uh, in Christchurch and and we would travel from Christchurch down to Wanaka um, and go up to Kadrona for the um, junior the junior freestyle nationals. Uh, and so that would be our two weeks of freestyle skiing uh, in the year. Other um, when we're not freestyle when we weren't freestyle skiing at that age, we were racing. Um, and then yeah, so we'd do the two weeks of, of freestyle skiing, and and that would be the uh, those are the first comps that I ever did. Um, and yeah, that sort of kicked off off everything, I guess. Did you get nervous as a little thing? Mm, yeah, I did. I actually do. Yeah, I have I have some pretty strong memories of getting pretty nervous and that continued up until, I mean, I was, yeah, even now when I'm in the start gate, you know, like I've learned to control and I've learned to really manage it um, through working with sports psychs and, and growing up and maturing and being able to um, really control those quite strong emotions. But yeah, I get really nervous. Because it is an individual sport. I mean, I know you have um, a crew around you. You've mm. got your coaches and your family and, and team members and so on. But when you're about to drop in, what goes through your head in those, you know, final few seconds before you're about to drop in? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's such a weird moment because you 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 know what you're about to do. And and um, if you've ever watched a half bite run before, it's pretty intense. You don't have very long between hits and it's – um, and it's, yeah, it can be really, really fast paced. So those moments right before you drop in, you're, you're, you're I don't know, you're thinking about everything that's going to happen in the run, but then you're also trying to not overthink too much. Um, and you just got to rely on your practice and, um, make sure that the muscle memory comes through and, and, um, yeah, there's a lot of trust involved in that. And sometimes it goes wrong, but that's all part of it. 
You've pulled off some pretty amazing tracks. Mm. In fact, at the um, you know your win, your Olympic gold was back to back sixteen twenties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On yeah. opposite sides of the pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is. Actually, crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that that um, yeah. So it's like it's just, a whole. It's got to be a whole different kind of muscle skill set to do it on one side and then on the other, right? Yeah, I mean it's like I've sort of compared it before. It's like writing an essay with both hands, um, and yeah, it's it's being ambidextrous. Um, and so yeah, the sixteens was something that uh, I came up with the idea of inventing. Um, so I invented that trick back in twenty nineteen. Um, and at that time, I was just sort of, I was at a stage where I'd just come off um, my first medal uh, at the Olympics, mm-hmm. and I was uh, 17. or 16 when I won the medal, but 17 at the time, and I was like, okay, where can I, I want to take the sport in, in my direction, um, and how am I going to do that? And, and so I sat down with my coach, and I said, look, um, we had 1260s at the time, which is two flips and, oh, goodness, three and a half full spins. Um and I really wanted to push that. And so I sat down with him and we decided that we would take the sport to 1620s. And that is two, well, two flips and four and a half, full, three and a half. Four and a half. half. Four and a half. Goodness, I don't even know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a really, really special time um, in my career. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was such a process to invent those, those tricks. Um, what is the process? Yeah, well, I mean, we started from we started from the idea. You know, everything stems from the idea, and and then you know, if you can see it and you can visualize it in your head and you can sort of feel it, well, then you know that it's going to work. You don't really know yet how much work it's going to take, but um, yeah. So the idea, and then and then you go into the next stage, which is um, trampolining, and so you'd be working on the trick on the trampoline, trying to emulate doing it in half pipe as much as you can. Then I did it on slope style, which is a just a straight jump. Um, in a half bite, we have two 90-degree walls, but I uh, did it on the jump first. Then went to an airbag, um, a half pipe airbag, and, and, um, which is where you take off on snow and land on the vinyl mm-hmm. um, pillow and uh, did it there and then, yeah, tried it in the half pipe. Um, so that whole process was pretty much from the Olympics in February 2018, and that process started – um, in June of 2018 and took all the way through till, uh, goodness, the end of 2019 to actually doing a competition for the first time. Um, and then I had to learn the other one the other way. Right. So it was like, yeah. Just wind it back, start again. Yeah, yeah. And do it on the less yeah. natural side. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So when you're, um, sorry, and excuse my ignorance, but, do you execute it in the half pipe before you hit competitions? Like you have to know that you can do it. So how many times were you hitting that before you took it into competition? Um, I'd probably done it. I mean, it depends on the trick, but the, that one in particular, uh, I'd probably done maybe fifty or sixty on the airbag, and then probably twenty in the half pipe. Um, there's such high risk maneuvers and and such. Um, they take so much power and so much energy that you you know you can only really do one mm. or two a day, mm. like in the half pipe because they're just they're just that um, scary. <laughs> so yeah, it takes a long time. It looks terrifying. Yeah, and you are putting your body on the line. Yeah, and 
we're built as humans that when we <laughs> are coming up to something that is like potentially really going to hurt us, your natural response is kind of to like not do it. Yeah, and that's me as well. Like I'm full, uh, you know, and have fight or flight, I'm full flight. Mm. Like if I sense danger, I sense this, I just run away. And so actually having to force myself to not run away and um, – to face that fear has been something that has been a huge learning process for me. But um, I still have trouble with it, but I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a grip on it. Um, what sort of mindset do you have to have? I mean, there is some serious determination to do all of that training. Yeah, I think you can't be results focused. Um, I think you see a lot of people be extremely focused on the end goal, you know, whether that's an Olympic medal or whether that's um, – being the best and and how I feel like I've combated that is being very process driven. So going um, step by step and really just, um, yeah, just working through each step, making sure that it's right, not thinking about what's to come and, and um, yeah, I don't know, just, just step by step, I guess, yeah. As a mother and I um – watch my, like I've got a nine-year-old and even when he plays football mm. and if someone tackles him too hard, I'm like, oh, how, how do your parents cope with you like going up and putting your body on the line like constantly? Yeah, yeah, they cope. I don't know how well. Um, often, oftentimes they're not actually there watching. Um, is that a deliberate thing or no, is it I don't know. Pra- practicality-wise? I, I think it's, it, well, it's not a deliberate thing because – um, one, it's expensive mm-hmm. for them to come over to the US and Europe and watch us compete, and two, they have to work. Um, but when we were growing up, um, dad worked and mum travelled with us, and so mum was always at the bottom um, of events, and unfortunately dad couldn't watch because the lower-level comps don't have live streams or anything. Um, but I know for a fact that mum can't watch. Right. She hears our name when we're dropping in um, and then turns around and can't watch. Yeah. Um, I don't know about dad. I think dad watches um, and and – really likes watching it, but they're both in medical as well. So right. they know the consequences. Right. Um, and they also know the solution, which is good. That's handy. Yeah. They must be very, very proud of you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And you competed with your brother against your brother, yeah. in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Miguel and I competed against each other for um, well, eight, eight or nine years. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that – that can be that would be pretty testing on some relationships mm. with brothers, um, but I think you know Miguel and I have really handled it well. We're still super good mates. Um, like we do everything together, and um, yeah, it's it's so so cool. Well, it was so so unfortunately was so so cool to have him on tour with me um, and have that close family member right there that you know you can talk to about anything. Um, but then in saying that, you know, we both understand that on competition day we have to give each other space and and um you know really allow each other to perform it um you know our best and Mm. and um in that case for us it was giving each other space and letting one another do their thing when you were little was there that kind of sibling rivalry do you think that might have helped you kind of hone your skills even a little more knowing that you always had someone to be in competition with Mm, i don't know i mean i was always chasing miguel and always just following him with whatever he did. You know, if he picked up a skateboard, I'd pick up a skateboard. Yeah. If he picked up a mountain bike, I'd pick up a mountain classic bike. Classic little brother just, stuff. <laughs> yeah, classic little brother things. And and that was huge for me. Like he's such a he's such an inspiration for me. Um but 
yeah, funnily enough, we, we didn't really fight when we were younger. Um, and Miguel has always been the most incredibly supportive brother. Like he just supports and wants to see um, me succeed. And, and same with him, you know, we just really back each other. Um, and, yeah, I think mum and dad did a really good job at just creating this little, you know, team of two two of us, two brothers that, um, you know, and, and gave us the environment that we felt like we could pick up anything and, and just give it a try and that yeah. was all good. You know, we didn't have to be good at it but we could just try it. Um, yeah, and that just created this bond that's pretty inseparable for the two of us. Didn't have to be good at it but it just turned out to be like the best in the world. <laughs> well, uh, maybe at skiing but not the other things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think being the best in the world at one thing is like perfectly acceptable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm even the best in my household at anything. <laughs> Do you get the yips? Does that ever happen? What's the yips? The yips. It's like a, a when you like you you basically get a block and you can't do it. You just can't, you know? Yeah, I did when I was younger. Um Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that in a long time. Um yeah, don't I don't let me put it in your head. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Um I yeah, I did uh, I went through a period where I was probably I think it was 10, 11, 10, 11, 12. And there was a moment there that is that I remember really clearly, and it was this day up at Cadrona, and I was trying to, um, I was trying to learn this new track. It was only a seven twenty. It was, you know, pretty just a seven twenty. Well, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, from from what I've learned from that moment till <laughs> yeah. now is, you know, um, yeah. I mean, for me, it was hard at the time. It I was really hard. Time, for yeah, sure. and I was I was terrified, absolutely terrified, and. Um, you know, the, I just specifically remember 10-year-old me sitting at the top of the jumps being like, if I – putting so much pressure on myself going, if I don't do this trick right now, I'm going to go home. I'm not going to ski anymore. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm finished skiing. Like, mum, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I went and then oh, I was having this like sort of panic attack now that I look back on it. Went back into the car in the car park up at Jonah and sat there just crying, just like, what am I doing? I'm so scared, shaking. And then all of a sudden I just thought, right, I'm just going to go and face my fear and I'm just going to go and do it. And, you know, whether I – I know it sounds a bit cheesy, a bit cliche, but if I do end up in hospital, that's okay. I gave it a try. And that was something that I came up in my head and and I went and did it and it went well and I landed it. But from there – um, it created this thing in my head that I would sometimes get the yips, you know, because it was in the grand scheme of things, a 720 of where I was trying to get to is not that much. And so I had roadblocks like that for the next three or four years. And then from the age of 12, started working with um, sports psychologist and he's still my sports psychologist now. And he really, really helped me get through those moments of, you know, having the yips um, and, feeling like you really want to shy away from something, mm. um, but being able to teach yourself to face it. And I've used those techniques so, so much, like so much. And and even just outside of skiing, um, I use them in everyday life. And, yeah, it's a huge skill. Yeah, I mean, you must be extremely disciplined. And I, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay, tell me more. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think, yeah, I'm disciplined and when I know it's time to get serious, but I'm a huge believer in family's a huge believer in a balance of um, professional career and then also normal life, you know. 
um, that's something that yes, I did I did miss out on. You know, not not miss out on, but didn't get a normal teenage upbringing, mm. um, and even you know, um, late teen and and preteen, like it wasn't normal. I was homeschooled and. Um, was that because of the sport? Or was yeah, it, it was because of skiing. Like, it was because of skiing and because of traveling. And um, so, yeah, I, I um, am a firm believer in that balance is um, really, really key. You know, having that time to step away and to not be fully focused and fully serious, but then also being able to completely rein it in and be focused when when it counts. And I'm really lucky that I've got, um, you know, two. Well, you know quite a few people in my life that will tell me when it's time to rein it back in or, you know, like say if I'm going fishing too much or doing this or, you know, going surfing or something like that, then they're like, okay, you need to focus. And um, that's really helped me uh, being able to have that judgment, hmm. yeah, on when it's time to when it's time to relax and when it's time to focus. Did you ever find it, like, difficult to relate to your peers leading yeah. such a different life to them? Yeah, I found it so hard. So, so hard. Um, and I think that's going back to um, having Miguel around was was really, really awesome because, you know, that's someone, he was a role model in my life um, and he was right there with me the whole mm. time mm. and super similar. And so I, I think that's what really got me through it was having someone like that there. But I did really, really struggle to relate to kids um, my age. Because you're, you're experiencing pressures that they just couldn't possibly imagine, right? Well, I don't know. It's equivalent. Like I'm I'm a strong believer that, you know, yes, say, for example, maybe you couldn't go and do a half-bite run. I wouldn't say that you couldn't, but right now you couldn't go and do a half-bite run. I definitely can't do a half-bite well, run. Well, that's – anyway. <laughs> Fact. Yeah. <laughs> but I probably couldn't go and do parts of your job. You know, and so it's it's very equivalent, and I'm a super strong believer in that. That's very humble, um, and you you seem very grounded. Um, how important is that to you to kind of keep this sort of perspective? Um, super important because I know that sports not forever, and I've been taught that from a young age. Um, and so I I think that yeah, I mean, I don't know. I personally don't like it when someone's like really like in your face and overconfident in the room. I think it's like quite, I don't know, intrusive. Jarring. Yeah, and it's just sort of like I don't really need to know that, you know. And and um, yes, while it's amazing um, to say that person is achieving those things, but oh, I don't know, I just don't think you need to flaunt them. Um, and, and like I said, sport's not forever. And so if you get so caught up on flaunting these things that you've achieved in sporting or achieved in life, um, there is potential that, you know, you lose actually who you are as a person mm. going forward outside of sport. And so I try not to get too caught up on it. So you wouldn't want to be like, you wouldn't want your sport and your achievements to define you. Exactly that. Exactly that. I, yeah. So yeah. what is it? What else is it? What else have you got to offer? What else is it about Nico that we don't know? Because all of the interviews you do always are talking about skiing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, that's why it's really cool to sit down today and sort of talk about this stuff. Is because um, I feel as if I do have a life outside of skiing and traveling, and um, yeah, and and those things involve a little bit of what we talked about earlier. You know. A uh, lot of time outdoors. Mm. I'm really into music. Music's a huge part of my life. Um, I really like uh, fashion and clothing. Um, that's something that really interests me. Um, I've got a little bit of a um, 
I don't know, I, I really like tattoos uh, and that side of, I don't know, um, yeah, just tattoos in general and much to my parents' um, <laughs> dislike. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm really starting to um, branch out mm. from things and, and um, like I said, not, not let skiing or my sport or achievements define who I am. Has it always been like that or is this something that's been more of a recent realisation? It has always been like that, but I would say um, I hurt my ACL. Well, I right. tore my ACL in um, two weeks after the 2022 Olympics and that was the first major injury that I've ever had um, and the first surgery and rehab that I had to go it's through. It's a long time of rehab, hey? Yeah, it was It was a 12-month rehab for me, um, so a long time, and it sort of gave me time to to – step back and be like, okay, well, skiing's not everything in my life right now um, and sort of reassess. And I did have little things in the background prior to that, but it sort of came, made them come forward a little bit more and um, really, yeah, I don't know, um, develop those ideas. Not not that they're set in stone. I mean, I'm sure that they'll change and I'm sure that they'll evolve, but um, I feel like that whole 12-month rehab process really helped me um, develop and mature as a person maybe in ways that I'd missed out on in the build-up to the Olympics, you know, because I was just so focused Mm. on competing. Uh, And so that's where it comes back to, like, that balance of having that really good life balance. And, um, yeah, I know that that rehab, a lot of the time people will say that rehab is the worst thing that's ever happened um, in their life. But for me that was honestly one of the better things that's ever happened to me because it just – I feel like it, it just gave me a break in my head um, and time to develop and mature and all that sort of stuff that a 21-year-old's going through, <laughs> yeah. How do you actually make money from competitive skiing in yeah. terms of a career, you know? Yeah, so I'm very, very fortunate in that Snow Sports um, New Zealand, which is our governing body um, funded by High Performance Sport, they support us um, in, you know, say that's coaching costs, Mm-hmm. Um, training camp costs, travel, uh, they support us with gym, physio, that sort of stuff. They just create a, a support network around us that really allows us to be the best athletes that we can um, and also help financially with accommodation, and that sort of stuff. But then um, I also have my personal sponsors that um, they pay me to do uh, what I do and um, whether that's advertising purposes through Instagram or results-based bonuses, um, yeah, there's – and then also on top of that you have prize money as well. Hmm. Uh, but that's not guaranteed. No, it's not. Yeah. Not unless you're pulling out 16s. And, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> if you – if if so, I mean, you couldn't really live on prize money alone, A, because you couldn't rely on it, and B, I'm guessing it's just not yeah, so often I think enough. Like or, the, the, I mean, we like we have – what is it? Okay, we probably have six events a year. Now, five of them are World Cups, and the prize money for a World Cup is 11,500 Swiss francs. So by the time you do bring it back to New Zealand dollars, um, you know, it does go up a little bit Mm. more, but then obviously you have taxes and stuff like that. Mm. And and then that other one event sometimes can be two, but those events um, such as X Games are 20,000 US dollar if you win. Um, so you could you could easily live off the prize money, um, making yeah eighty eighty thousand uh, US a year on prize money. 
Um, if you keep But that's winning. you have to win everything, <laughs> you know. Um, third place is 2,000. Right, euro. right. So it's like, yeah, yeah. And then so, you pay down to sixth. So it's, yeah. so those kind of endorsement deals, they're, they're a big part of the sport, yeah, kind of a necessary part for you to be able to keep doing what you do. Yeah, for sure. They're a huge part of um, skiing for me. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And has there ever been, like, in the back of your mind, a bit of a plan B? Um, to be honest, there's not been a full set-in-stone plan B. Um, I'm a big believer in um, not rushing into making big life decisions. I know that sounds kind of weird. No, that's actually I, incredibly wise, and especially for your age to have reached that yeah, realisation. Well, I see, is very smart. Yeah, I just see, like, I don't know if I should be saying this, and maybe if you're if you're finishing high school and going into uni, maybe stop listening to the podcast. But <laughs> I, I sort of see that um, I see a lot of people decide on their career mm. at 18, straight out of school, and then they go to uni. Yeah, they have a great time with their mates, but then they actually come out of uni and they're like, I don't really know what to do because, one, I don't know how to use my degree. Two, I don't know how to get a job. Uh, you know, I and then three, half my friends have been traveling the world and I've just been at uni. So then they sort of just start from square one again and, and are lost with this piece of paper that, yeah, allows them to get a good career, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be in the right, um, you know, career. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I really, really, in terms of a plan B, um, have ideas, have certain things that I would like to um, – say, work in, like, I would love to be in a creative field. Um, I think that would be amazing. I don't know what creative field, whether I'll go to university or whether it's something that I'll learn by experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I know that I understand the the fact that I do have to have a plan B and there has to be something there and, and um, yeah, it's I just don't put too much pressure on that. Maybe not so much a plan B but a plan for when you decide it's time to hang up your skates. Yeah. I mean, it's same sort of thing. It's just like I'm here and now. Yeah. And if I'm smart with prize money and with, um, you know, with sponsorship money and stuff like that and, and like I understand that after skiing there has to be a career and I want to have a career and, yeah. These days there can be a few. Yeah, there's so many options yeah. out there. There's yeah. so many options. You don't have to like yeah. dig into one thing for yeah, the rest yeah. of your life. And, and just it's not like – that it's not like that skiing is going to support me for the rest of my life, you know, like it's no way going to do that. Um, but, yeah, just having a little bit saved up to have that little bit of a head start is is good. So you're consciously sort of thinking about the future yep. and in terms of finance, you know, making some wise decisions now to make it easier for you mm-hmm. to do whatever it is that you want to do when you come yep. out the other side of this. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's been taught um, – yeah, mum and dad have really made that uh, a big thing. Did you talk about money like in your family when you were young or has it more been since you just have, I guess, been earning through your sport? No, it's always been not talked about really. And I think it's also been really uh, installed that money's not everything. Mm. I mean, skiing's an expensive sport, right? Like, So you have to kind of be mindful in some ways um, of, yeah, you know, of – I feel like it would be easy to blow a lot of money on skiing. I mean, it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, so, so lucky to have um, supportive parents. 
uh, and and then also to have the the backing of mm. um, government organisations and sponsors and um, but yeah, it is expensive. Um, and I think how um, you know I I understand that, and I was always I was made aware of that right. growing up. But mum and dad, uh, I guess, didn't want it to add pressure on me. Yeah. I mean, they knew that like if I was slacking off, I, I knew in the back of my mind that okay, my parents are working their you know, they're working so hard for me to be able to chase my dream. I have to give them everything that I've got, you know, like I have to do as much as I can to make their, I guess, investment in a way worthwhile and show them that I'm worthy of that and that I really do want it. I think um, you've done that, by the way. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think you'd go into, into like, continue on in, in snow sports, though, and coaching or anything like that? I don't think so. Interesting. To be honest, I don't think so. I haven't really ever talked about that. But it's, yeah, it's something that uh, I see skiing, you peak at 20, I don't know, 24, you know, 25, and it has been cases later on. But I see it as a, as a really cool opportunity um, to – be able to maximize what I can do in sport, you know, by the age of 32, 33, when my body maybe starts to give up and then still have, you know, 40 odd years to go and live this really cool life. Mm. Um, and, and then skiing can be just something that you enjoy and do. Yeah, fun, yeah, yeah, right? exactly, exactly. And, and you know, like there's definitely the goals there of wanting to start a family and and have, you know, like a uh, have kids and, and um, teach them how to pizza and get 22, I probably shouldn't stay in that, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, like those are things you have to think about, um, and and it's about like taking the right steps to to um, you know make sure that that future's there. Mm. Yeah. What are some common misconceptions about competitive skiing? Um, I think one we touched on earlier is that we make it up on the spot. Yeah. You know how often, like, I think a lot of people think that it's not planned in the future. I feel like in my my kind of um, <laughs> imagination, like having been to X Games and things, um, summer ones, but think like that kind of party vibe. That it, like yeah. extreme sports is party time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not at all. Like the the level at which that we have to perform at when we have to perform is we have to be so fine-tuned and so onto it. Because, you know, in half pipe especially, we, we only have like, um, we only have about a metre as our margin error. And one, you're landing on a flat deck is what we call it and bouncing seven and a half metres into the flat bottom or the other one, you you know, you're just flying seven and a half metres to the flat bottom. Um, so we have such a small margin for error. And so I think that a lot of the time, yes, it does sort of look like that um, rock star lifestyle sort of thing. Um, and which at times, yeah, it, it is like, but when it comes time to focus, it's like, it's full serious. Like we're just like any other athletes and really have to put the preparation in to make sure that we don't get hurt because we can get seriously hurt doing it. What are some of the biggest challenges you've faced in your career? Um, I've, yeah, I mean, injuries are obviously one. Um, but as I said, injuries can also be seen as a huge positive and, um, yeah, I, I think that that's been a really big issue. Um, mental, like, um, to be honest, like mental well-being as well has mm. been huge for me. Um, being like a 
you know, from the age of 16 through to 2021, 20, being on the road and then you throw COVID in there, mm. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, you're away from family, you're away from close friends, you know, you're trying to form personal relationships at that time. And, um, you know, you see your peers doing it and you can't, um, and, and sort of in that time as well, you, you also have the, the, um, thing of being, you know, a late teenager, uh, and that's, you know, discovering who you are because mm. you have no idea, yeah. you know, and, and so, yeah, I have this, at that time I had this identity of skiing, but I don't know who I am or what I am or what I'm into or, um, you know, how I can, um, sort of stabilize my mental side of things. And so you go, th go through crazy waves of big highs and big lows, mm. like huge lows. Um, so that, that's been a huge challenge just staying in it mentally. Um, yeah. And, and. I guess other than that, the, the stuff that just comes along with skiing, um, which is just average training stuff um, that can be really difficult. But I, w I would say that honestly um, the mental side of things has been the hardest um, and even on the performance side of mental as well, mm. that's been huge. Yeah. I was going to say because there's, there's, there's basically two, you know, massive uh, mental challenges in your sport. One is, you know, the actual mental challenge of executing what you need to execute on the day, but also everything that involves being a professional athlete at that level um, and, you know, at the age that you were at, it just sounds really intense. Yeah, yeah, it is super intense. I mean, you put a you put a young adult into a high-performance high environment, it's, it's hectic. Um, and I think I was really lucky to have such great support um, mm. through my parents, my brother and my sports like, but going through that is is intense. Aside from those folks who you kind of, I guess, uh, um, are your default to reach out to, your coaching team, your mm. sports psych, your family, do you have other people around you when you're on the road that you can, you know, lean on? Yeah. I mean, this is something that I've had to work on, like, to be honest, even in the past six months. Um, like, I, yeah, have sort of had to, had to figure this out in my head and, and I mean, a big thing is just FaceTime, like just keeping in touch with a select few friends. And um, yeah, that's that's a huge thing. I mean, we're moving places every week, so it's mm. kind of hard to it's kind of hard to actually, um, you know, maintain relationships mm. uh, with friends and, and, you know, a stop that you're only there for a week. Mm, mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, you know, using FaceTime and using those great technology pieces that we have, you know, like I'm literally one click away from speaking to any one of my close friends or family. Mm. Um, and, yeah, having a good relationship with my coach is really important because, you know, I live with him, I train with him, I travel with him. So it's like that's really important for me as well. Yeah, and just, and, and then coach and um, professional working relationships with other tight team and, yeah, it's it's just finding the relationships that you know that mean mean a lot to you and, and really focusing on those um, because at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones that are going to help get you through anything. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, just, just to add to that as well, I think, you know, oftentimes it's overlooked that, um, 
yeah, you, you're focusing on all these external things that make you feel better, but a lot of time at the end of the day, it's uh, taking time to yourself and, mm. and just understanding that, you know, for me, I personally know that I only have a certain social battery that um, I didn't realize yeah. when I was younger. And so that created all these things of, oh, I'm, I'm tired and I can't think. And now as I'm older, I realize that, okay, I only have a certain social battery. And outside of that, I really just need to be by myself and, and um, be able to process my thoughts. And um, so, yeah, it's... It's, again, finding the balance of socialising, supporting your social needs, getting support from, from um, you know, close friends and family, but then also taking personal time and solo time to yourself. You're really self-aware. When I think, yeah. back, to, when I think back to myself <laughs> at your age, I was not very self-aware. Um, is that due to, you think, to your upbringing or is it sort of a, necess- a necessity of being an athlete? Um, I think it's both. I think I've been I've – been, um, in a way, like forced to do that, um, just because of the job that I do. Hmm. Not that it's a job, but the career that I have maybe um, has sort of forced me to do it. And and COVID really forced me mm. to do that. You know, I spent nine months away from home and then had to do isolation when you come back. And um, yeah, I had my brother and my coach there, but at the same time, it's like that's pretty – you get pretty lonely. You're so close to family when you're in that isolation, yeah. right, and yet just yeah. not quite there. Yeah, exactly, and and just spending time away and, um, yeah, has has forced me to, to be self-aware. And then um, I've also uh, had, yeah, worked with sports psychologists and, mm. and that's been really, um, really, really essential for me, uh, just really creating um, – but having that self-awareness of what I need and understanding my needs and why I have those needs. And um, I think a big thing that I've really noticed that helps that is is, is opening up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great that that's so, um, that's so encouraged now is to open up and to actually talk about that sort of stuff with friends and family and, mm-hmm. and to get into those deeper conversations and talk about that because by having those deeper conversations, you often find, well, personally, I often find that you actually figure a lot of stuff out just yeah. by actually talking to yeah. someone. And it doesn't mean that you're going to go to the pub and you're going to spill your life story on someone. But, you know, having those select group of people that you know that you can trust and talk to um, really helps you become more self-aware as a person, I think. You know, all of this stuff I feel like feeds into your ability to perform. Yeah. At a high level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you take care of yourself and you take care of your – um, mental side of things, um, the physical stuff will follow. Uh, obviously, with hard work and physical, but um, yeah, it all feeds into when you're standing in that ten seconds before you're about to drop. It all feeds into that. Do you have, do you still have an opportunity to be there for other people as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. Currently, I'm in a relationship, um, and yeah, I feel as if I can be there for her and um, support her and. Um, and, you know, say, for example, in that it's more about understanding, you know, when I can support her and when she can support mm. me and, and being communicating and being like, okay, well, um, I, yeah, sorry, I can't be there for you right now. I have to focus on this or, you know, and just having those open chats. Um, and then also, you know, supporting my family, supporting my brother, uh, my friends back home, Wanaka, um, you know, because it's little things. It's like... Um, I know social media can be pretty hard, but it, but it, all it takes is maybe a message, just being like, "Hey, hope you're all good." 
mm. a one-liner just mm. so that, you know, you know, they know that you're checking in on mm. them. And, um, I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But I always try and make time to – I'm a huge people pleaser, like a huge people pleaser. Okay, that can sometimes be yeah, not it, so great for it, you. It was a really, really huge problem that I had to overcome. Um, not problem, just – a thing that I had to learn to deal with uh, in taking time for myself. Mm. Um, there was a big reason why I learned that. Um, but, yeah, big people pleaser and, and like to make sure that my friends and people that are close to me are all good, sometimes more than checking in on myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Got to gotta look after yourself first before you can look yeah. after anyone else, yeah. you know. Exactly. Does your sports like go through this stuff with you, like in terms of more broad life stuff or is it mostly yeah. just sports stuff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I've worked with them since I was 12, We've obviously gone through this, um, I guess, psycho well, psychological journey. I know that sounds kind of spiritual. I'm not very <laughs> spiritual. But we go through this psychological um, journey where it started off as really performance-based. Yeah. Um, and then as it sort of got older in the past two years or so or three years, it's become more personal-based. Yeah. Because I've been so ingrained in that performance environment and have learned those skills that I can carry on for years – um, to deal with the performance side of mental stuff, um, yeah, I've I've then maybe maybe neglected the personal mm. side of things, or I don't know. It's kind of hard to teach personal lessons to a fourteen year old that's running very, around very skiing, you know. So, <laughs> so I feel like I learned that in the right time. But um, yeah, the sports psych, my sports psych, Dave Collins, has been amazing. He's yeah. been so so good. He and, must know you so well. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really does. Yeah. You have a very, like, regimented training and all that kind of stuff to do what you need to do. For most people, their lives are probably a little bit more flexible. But what's one thing that Kiwi can do, if they could do one thing this week that could help them towards their goals, what would you recommend that be? Now, I would say I would say that one thing you could do, if I was going to say to anyone, would be, I mean, we, we touched on it for a little while there, um, and I think especially um, around the the summertime is that there's a lot, a lot of socialising and a lot of spending time with other people and, um, yeah, it can seem quite full on at times, uh, especially, you know, after the weekend come Monday or something, you're back in the office and you just feel like you've got less energy than when you started the mm-hmm. week or the, when you finished the weekend. And um, I think just making putting, – putting yourself needs – um, high up on your priority list, I think would be a big thing, um, and trying to stay at a at a um, at a steady a constant uh, and and control what you can, and that's one thing is making sure that you're all good first things first. So I think that would be my one piece of advice. Yeah. Amazing, amazing perspective. Um, I think you're an incredible role model, not only as an athlete, but also after talking to you today. I'm just so impressed with your outlook on life and your self-awareness and your humility. So thank you so much for coming in and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us today. This is Performance. This is Nico Porteous. This is Kiwi. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? 
Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.